Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Titus chapter 2. The book of Titus chapter 2. I don't know about you folks, my heart's pretty full this morning. I love singing with you folks. Um, uh, you, you all sing it out and I love it. You sound like you mean it. And it sure is a joy and a, a real treat to sing with you. And my heart is so full already. The book of Titus is one of three pastoral epistles. Paul wrote three pastoral epistles, two to the same man, Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and then he wrote this small little three-chapter letter to a pastor by the name of Titus. Just for the sake of getting a little background context as to what's going on here, Titus is a pastor on the island of Crete. Now, Crete had a horrible reputation. Crete was known for its immorality. Crete was known for its idolatry. Crete was known for its violence. Uh, the men of, of um, Crete were mercenary fighters. They didn't fight for a cause. They fought for money. They would go out on their exploits. They would come back. They were known for being tall tales tellers. Tall tell tellers. There we go. Um, they, they came back and were talking about they'd done this and well, I did this. I mean, and they were known. They, they were literally known for being liars. Matter of fact, Paul mentions it in the first chapter, quoting one of their own philosophers. He says, "You know what's said of the men of, of, of Crete? They're they're a bunch of liars," and and Paul confirms it. He says it's true. Um, so th this is the reputation. Of Crete, but isn't it just like God and His great mercy and His great grace that at a, a, a place like Crete with a reputation like Crete, God has sent the good news of the gospel and there's churches there. People have been saved and there's churches. Um, Paul is writing a letter to Titus, just giving him some instruction. Um, there was, uh, it, it seems to be that there's a, either one mother church and lots of little churches um, or lots of uh, independent churches. I don't really know how it, it worked on the island of Crete, but one of the jobs that Paul is giving to Titus is to appoint elders in every city, it says. Um, and so the gospel is going forth and the church is being built there. But you know what? There's, there, it's obvious as you go through this that, that Paul is, is having Titus to address some things because basically this is what was going on. The, the culture around the church was starting to have influence on the church. Are we ever in danger of, the, danger of that happening in our churches? The culture around us having influence on our churches. Um, let, 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 me, let me even take it a, a step further. Personally, are we ever in danger? Do we ever feel the culture around us maybe oozing its way into who we are? Folks, we all struggle feeling the culture around us and its impact on us. And so um, Paul is wanting Titus to address some things in the church. Uh, as you come into chapter 2, there's, uh, there's some, I mean, very, very specific instruction that Titus is to teach the men of the church, the young men and the older men. Titus is to teach the ladies of the church, the older ladies, the younger ladies, um, that there is instruction Paul gives to Titus himself as to how he should um, engage with people and what his character should be among the people of the church. There's instruction for the working class of the day and how they should be towards those who have rule over them. Um, so there's this list of, of things that Paul is telling Titus to address. But then we come to probably more of a well-known part of this little three-chapter book, we're going to pick up in verse number 11, and let me tell you what Paul does. In verse number 11, he brings up what is the power to be obedient to anything that God gives us to do, as he's just given a whole list of instruction, kind of if you could say it this way, some do's and don'ts. Make sure you don't do this. Hey, folks, make sure you're doing this. In the midst of, of instructions of what to do and not to do, there's only one way we can be obedient to God, and he brings it up in verse number 11 when he brings up... Are you ready? The incredible word, grace. And I want us to look at grace today and the work of God's grace, both in saving us, which is what we find in verse 11, but also then in changing us. 
which is what we find in verse number 12 and following. Let's look at these verses together. We will start in verse number 11. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, I want you to listen how he closes this section up, verse 15. Paul says to Titus, Titus, verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. The way he finishes this section up, he says, Titus, I want you to speak these things. I want you to exhort. The word exhort is going beyond just speaking these things. It's really a calling. It is a calling to obedience. We've got to not just hear these things. We have to obey these things. And then he even says, if need be, Titus, he said, even rebuke and know that you have, he says right there, verse 15, with all authority, you have authority if need be, Titus, to rebuke in these things. And then he says, let no one disregard you. The word disregard means to kind of snub your nose. Don't let anybody say, yeah, Titus, whatever. We don't have to listen to you. Now, folks, we're going to look at this today. We'll, we'll, we'll look at these words. I pray that our, our hearts would be exhorted to obey these things. Any kind of rebuking, obviously, I don't even know you, I don't know, even know you folks. I'm not standing in any position to be rebuking, but the Holy Spirit of God knows all of us oh so well, does he not? And if he sees fit to rebuke us today, may it be that we don't disregard him and say, whatever, God, we don't have to listen to you. Folks, I believe that this is a text of scripture that we need today. And so may God give us ears. Okay, I want to pray this way. God, I'd love for you to pray this way. God, would you give me ears to hear? Actually, Paul told the Corinthian church that the, the things that are spiritually, that the, the things really of the, of the Bible are spiritually understood and that the natural man can't even understand them unless God does a work of helping him understand them. So the prayer of our hearts need to be, God, open up my eyes. God, give me ears to hear. Folks, may that be our prayer. Let's pray right now and ask God to help us as we come to his word. Father, we need you. Lord, this is your truth. This is your word. Lord, we are the sheep of your pasture. Lord, I pray that you will open up the eyes of our understanding. Lord, you will give us ears to hear. Lord, would you take your word and would you plant it deep in us? Lord, we commit it to you. Lord, maybe there are some here in this room who have never seen their need of your saving grace. Lord, I pray that you would open up their eyes, Lord, maybe for the first time ever, to see, Lord, what you have done for them, how that you've made a way for them to be saved. Lord, may they repent and turn to you. God, we commit it to you. In Christ's precious name we pray, amen. So in verse number 11, he brings up a wonderful word that for all throughout Christendom, uh, this word has been grabbed a hold of, the word grace. Do you understand the word grace? There are a lot of people out there, even who call themselves so-called Christians, who have no concept of what the word grace means. Folks, the word grace means that you can't earn it. The word grace means that what God has to give to us by way of salvation and then eternal life, forgiveness, the whole gamut that is what Jesus Christ came to this earth to accomplish and provide for us. Folks, you can't earn it. If you could earn it, then Jesus died for nothing. 
But Jesus Christ realizing and understanding, God understanding, there's no way for us to have entrance into his presence because of our good works, or because of our um, religion, or because of our giving to a not-for-profit, or you name it, all of the things that mankind tries to do in order to earn favor with God. Folks, there's nothing you can do. So Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died. And then the Bible tells us that the salvation that he provided is all of grace. It's all of grace. Look at what it says in verse number, verse number 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That phrase, all people, is talking about all sorts of people, even people like the people of Crete. God's gracious work has extended to the worst of the worst, all the way to me, my friend, all the way to all of us. The grace of God that brings salvation has extended. Have you been saved by his grace? If you're here today and you have never realized your sin, you've never realized what Jesus Christ did on the cross, my friend, would you turn to Christ and be saved? Would you repent? Would you realize that like we mentioned a moment ago, all of us like sheep, we've gone astray. All of us have gone our own way but that God the Father has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquities of us all so that we can be saved. Would you repent? Would you turn to Jesus Christ? Would you place your faith and trust in him? Would you be saved free of charge to you? Would you turn to Christ and be saved by his grace? Folks, the Bible clearly says that if we could earn it, it's salvation is of, is of grace. It's not of works. If it were of works, we could boast. Folks, if you could earn your way to salvation, then you could get to heaven and there'd be a big pat on the back. Good job. You did a good job making your way here. But the Bible says none of us will ever get to heaven because of our works. We are saved 100% by his grace. You know, if you, that's, why we, that's why we love the word grace. I've preached at many, many Grace Baptist churches. We, well, we name our daughters Grace. We love to sing about grace. When the church sings about grace, you know what? We're not even satisfied just to sing about grace. What do we do? We throw all kinds of modifiers in front of it. We sing of the, you know, the wonderful grace of Jesus. Marvelous, matchless, infinite. We go on and on, don't we? Amazing grace. Just listen to those words. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. John Newton was a sinful, wicked old man. He was a, a slave trader. He was a drunkard, but, he, found, but G, he didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him, and the day came where God opened his eyes to see who he was and to see who God was. Listen to what the song says. Amazing grace, John Newton said. How sweet just the sound of it that would save an old wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. But now I can see. You know what? John Newton actually physically, he was not a blind man. He could see just fine. But spiritually speaking, in his sin, he was blind. My friend, maybe you're here today. And as you sit here, you're blind. Your sin has so blinded your eyes. I'm telling you, in his amazing grace, he can open your eyes and give you life. Help you to see what otherwise you would never be able to see. Understand what otherwise you would never be able to understand. His amazing grace that brings salvation. Have you been saved by his grace? If you have not, would you please be saved today? After the service, there's so many people in this room. There, this room is full of people who have realized that they were sinners and have been saved by his amazing grace. And this room is also full of people who would love to help you realize that you can be saved by his amazing grace. Please don't leave here without us letting us help you. I would love to help you. Pastor Mark, Pastor Jeremy, I'm telling you, this, full, this room is full of people who would love to help you, right? Saving grace. I think when we think about grace, our most common understanding of grace is his saving grace, which is what he brings up in verse 11 and what we've been talking about. 
But I actually want to kind of turn a corner here because I really want to spend time in verse number 12 where he gives us another understanding of grace that I think sometimes we tend to not fully understand. There's another side of his grace that I want us to look at now, starting in verse number 11. Listen to what he says in verse number 11. Training us that renouncing ungodliness and worldly passion, uh, that, I'm sorry, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. When? In this present world, in this present age. Right now, folks, this is the timeless word of God telling us that the same grace of God that has saved us, that same grace of God is doing a work in us to teach us how we are supposed to live right here, right now in this present age. Now, I want us to look at this, these words, okay? We have some words we're going to kind of wrestle with this morning in verse number 12. First of all, we have the word training. Um, verse number 12 starts with an action taking place, okay? So you see that in verse number 12, training us, okay? So you got to actually go back into verse number 11 to find out who, what is the subject of this word training. Who's training us? What is training us? You have some options in verse number 12. It could be, or verse number 11, it could be that our salvation is training us. I mean, theologically, I'm okay with that. That's, that's um, uh, grammatically probably not the, the, the best option. That's not what it is. You could say, well, it's God that's training us. Well, it's obviously that it's God who's doing the training, but specifically, it's the grace of God that is training us. Now, I really want you to get this. Verse 11, the word grace in verse 11 is saving us. But in verse number 12, the grace of God, the word grace is training. Now, this is so important. This word training, um, this word gets translated lots of different ways in the New Testament. We find this word translated lots of ways. We find it translated teaching, instructing. Here we find this word translated training. Um, we also, though, listen to this. This same word, we find it translated out of the Greek into the English. We find it translated disciplining. We actually even find it translated um, in, in, well, the, the, the New King James in Hebrews chapter 12. You may, you may recognize this. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says this, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. The word chastening, the word discipline, it's the same word as here is translated training. Now, folks, I just got to be really, really honest with you. This is a little bit of a wrestling point because um, the, the, the subject of this action is grace. We don't really think of grace disciplining us or chastening us. You know, when I was a kid, I had many, many times when my father disciplined me. I had a good dad. He wasn't an angry dad. He was actually a, a, a great dad, but he, um, he, he disciplined me many, many times. And I, I, I never one time after maybe I had been disrespectful or if I disobeyed my mom or, or done something I shouldn't do and my dad had lovingly disciplined me and, and, you know, even the times where he let my backside know a little something, something. Never one time ever in my life did I come to my dad and say, Dad, I just want to thank you for being so gracious to me. No, see, isn't it common for our understanding that we sort of think if he showed, if he, if he was gracious to me, then well, that would mean that I didn't get the discipline. But folks, we can't miss this, and I'm telling you, this is so crucial to our Christian life. That the same grace of God, verse 11, that saves you, please don't miss it. Verse number 12, that same grace of God disciplines me and you. And let me tell you why this is so important, because I think it's so easy for us to have a little bit of a, of a cheap and cheesy understanding of the word grace, to where, you know, God's grace just kind of gives us a freebie to do what we want to do. You know, so salvation, you know, you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, but all it really is is just a, you know, a get out of hell free card. Do you know how many Christ, Christians who sit in churches Jesus to them is nothing but a get-out-of-hell-free card. You come to Jesus, you get saved, you get some fire insurance, you get your fire escape, then you can go live however you want, and you can actually throw, well, I mean, God's gracious, what's he going to do? 
Folks, let me tell you something. That is a cheesy, cheap understanding of what he did to you by his grace. Folks, because to tell you the truth, he's not close to being done with you by his grace. And let me, this is so important, okay? I mean, here's, here's my story. I grew up going to church. I grew up going to Sunday school. I grew up doing all the Christian stuff. I even, I even prayed a prayer when I was five years old. Man, I heard this high-powered preacher. He was an evangelist. He was talking about sin. He was talking about hell. I really believe everything that he was saying was actually true. Now, I I really want to be fair because sometimes what you hear is a little bit different than what was really said as a five-year-old. Let me tell you what I felt like I heard as a five-year-old. Are you ready? I heard that there were these magic words, and if I could say them, then I wouldn't burn forever. Now, what five-year-old ain't going to say those as fast as he can? I said them. I don't think I got saved. You say, well, you don't think a five-year-old can get saved? Well, sure, I think a five-year-old can get saved. I just don't think this one did. Because, folks, listen, I claimed one thing with my mouth as I grew up all the way into my 20s. I claimed one thing with my mouth, and I lived something totally different with my life. You ever met somebody? They claim one thing with their mouth live something totally different with their life, and it just doesn't compute, that was me. You know why? Because I actually, the Bible talks about people like me. Matter of fact, Titus, in in, in the last verse of Titus chapter 1, Paul says, Titus, there's people you're dealing with like this. Look at it. Look at the last verse of chapter 1. Listen to these people. This was me. They profess to know God. Ooh, that sounds good. But they deny him by their works and are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Folks, this is so important we understand this, that if God's grace has really come and saved you, then guess what? God's grace isn't finished with you. And God is going to continue to do his work in you. And that's what we have here. Verse number 11, the grace of God has appeared, and it is bringing salvation. But if you have been saved by his grace... Listen what else is coming. In his grace, in his love, and in his mercy, listen, the grace of God is teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So I'd I'd love to just take some of these words and let's just kind of tear them apart, make sure we understand what they're saying. Um, So the, the grace of God is training even disciplining and even, if need be, chastening us to do what? To renounce or say no to. Here's the first word I want to look at. You see the word ungodliness? Now, let me just ask a question. Do you think that Christians, I mean, is this a a sin that Christians struggle with, ungodliness, or is ungodliness a word that's reserved for, you know, those people? Or is this a word that we need God's grace to do a work in us to keep us from ungodliness? Well, I mean, I think the text is clear because Paul, Paul is saying, Titus, you need to teach these things to the church. And so apparently there the church struggled with the problem of ungodliness. And I think we all struggle with the problem of ungodliness. Let me, let me define it. So shortly after I got saved, I, um, I, I had a man who really invested in me. And, uh, and he gave me this definition of godliness. He said, he said, Aaron, and it really stuck with me. I've heard other, uh, other definitions as well, but I like this one, all right? This was the definition he gave me of godliness. He said, Aaron, godliness is, is when you practice the presence of God. That was so good for me. I, 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 uh, I've heard people say it's acknowledging, I mean, and he could have said it's acknowledging the presence, it's living in light of the presence of God. Those are all great things. But when he said the word practicing, it resonated. I tell you what, I grew up, I played sports all growing up. Um, I, we practiced all the time. I had coaches who pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And then you see all these instruments up here. You know what, you know what we do all the time? We'll do it this afternoon in order to get ready for, for this evening. We did it yesterday evening to get ready for this morning. We practice. I mean, every single one of these people up here represent hours and hours and hours. You know why we practice all the time? Because if we didn't, we wouldn't be very good. Folks, we have to practice all the time. You know what that tells me about godliness? It means you're not godly by accident. You don't just kind of let, let go and let God, and it's just going to kind of work its way into you by osmosis. It doesn't work that way. No, folks, there is, a, there is an effort 
made on the part of the Christian. Folks, we have to practice the presence of God. It is a work that He does in us through His grace. But folks, we, we do our part. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's what it means to be godly. So then what does it mean to be ungodly? Well, I, a book that I've been through uh, with our team, we used to carry it on our table. And we have a resource table back here in the back. And we used to carry it, but we're actually out of it right now. But it's, it's the book Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Has anybody ever read Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges? A few of you? It is a great book. It's a bit of a spanker, so be careful. Proceed with caution. Um, I mean, here's, here's the book, Respectable Sins, Learning to Confront the Sins that We, Talking About Christians, Tolerate. Isn't it such a tendency? Come on now. Isn't it a tendency for us to like think, well, I mean, look at those sins that those people are committing. Ew, man, I would never do what those, I mean, those are like bad sins. But then over here we are as a bunch of Christians and we have sins that we just straight up give ourselves a pass on, like judging other people, being discontent, um, having pride in our hearts. Um, I mean, the list, the, so here, this was a book and every chapter was on not the sins of those people, ew. It's the sins of us people, and really making the point that, are we any different? Um, learning to confront the sins that we as Christians tolerate. Are you ready for the chapter that, um, an entire chapter on the sin of believers, the sin of ungodliness? He, he defined it this way, ungodliness is living life with little or no regard to God. I mean, where, where it really nails you is when he said, I mean, have you ever lived an ungodly day? I mean, have you ever lived a day without God? It's not like, um, I mean, it's not like you're living in some big nasty sin. It's just a day that you lived without him. You were just in such a hurry. You were just cruising so fast. It's a day you lived without him. Are we ever guilty? He even goes so far as to say, have you ever lived an ungodly afternoon? You see, folks, we live in a world that is living as though God does not exist. And the grace of God the grace of God is teaching me and you, Christian. The same grace of God that has saved us. The same grace of God is teaching, even if need be disciplining and even chastening me and you, that we don't live like this world lives, spinning their wheels, living life as if there is no God. You know, I work in an internship um, and, and actually inner city, inner city uh, Detroit, it's a, it's a church planting internship, and we do all of these apologetics trainings for uh, training sessions for the, our interns that come in every year, and they get so hot, they get so pumped up, man, they just can't wait to go and take on the atheists. And I mean, man, I mean, uh, apologetics in recent years has become such a big deal, and I'm all about it. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But you know what's amazing? I mean, we can get so pumped up, so ready with our, with our arguments, ready to take on the atheists, but I meet Christians who live like practical atheists. They cruise through days as though he is not present. I mean, some of the things we watch on the television, that, uh, we somehow have to excuse him from the room. Some of the things we view. Folks, I'm telling you, God has saved us by his grace. And the same grace of God whereby he has saved us, he is also changing us, teaching us, instructing us, even if need be disciplining and chastening us, that we don't live like this ungodly world. We do live as though we understand that he is present. We practice his presence. This is a work of God's grace in our lives. Listen as he continues on. So the grace of God that saves us, verse 12, is training us to say no to ungodliness. And then listen to this, and worldly passions. What is worldly passions? Um, you know, I, uh, sometimes you hear the words worldly passions, and surely, I mean surely when you hear something like that, it's not talking about sins that we struggle with. Surely that's not we people's sins, that's those people's sins. Just sounds horrible, right? Worldly passions. Um, the word passions is, is a, a word that simply means desires. It's actually what it means. It's the Greek word epithemia. It's just, it's just talking about desires. They're qualified by the word in front of it, worldly. What is worldly? 
What does it mean that they're worldly desires? You know, I, I grew up kind of in like a, a little bit of a super conservative circle, and I really kind of rebelled against it. Um, but I heard a lot of preaching on worldliness. What does it mean to be worldly? Um, and, and, you know, what, what, what I felt like I heard was that worldliness or, you know, people whose hair look like that or their, their clothes look like that or, or some outward thing, all right? And that those people are worldly. Now, folks, I'm not going to say for a second that if you have worldliness in your heart, it, does, it makes its way out of the way we talk and the way we live and the way we whatever. But here's the big question, okay? Are you ready? Is worldliness an external problem or is worldliness an internal problem? Worldliness is an internal problem. If worldliness was some kind of external problem, then I, I don't think I struggle with worldliness. I mean, I, you know, it's been a long time since I've wanted some, you know, really off-the-wall funky piercing. I mean, it's just been a long, long time. Um, no, I'll tell you something, folks. That's not what worldliness is. Listen, I, I'll tell you, Aaron Coffey struggles with worldliness every day of my life. Are you ready for what it is? It's an affection struggle. It has to do with what you love, and it has to do with what you love most. And worldliness is when me and you, we so spend our affections on things that are temporal, that we have nothing in our life eternal that we're living for. And folks, listen, with that understanding, with that understanding of what it means to be worldly, folks, I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher, I don't care if you're a deacon, an elder, pastor, I don't care if you're an evangelist, it doesn't matter, folks. We can all struggle. We can look just like we're supposed to look. We can, in so many ways, act just like we're supposed to act. And we can be so worldly because we have so spent our affections on things that are going to, are you ready? They're going to pass away. Folks, I, I, um, um, I, I'll just talk about myself for a minute. I, I personally, I'm a man given to, 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 I got lots of passions, okay? I mean things I love. I love sports. I grew up playing sports. I mean like I, I love sports. I love, I love keeping up with sports. Um, but folks, at the end of the day, you know what? Aaron Coffey has to be really, really careful. I don't even have ESPN because it would be a God to me. I don't have it because I'm spiritual. I actually ha I, I don't have it because I'm spiritual. I actually don't have it because I'm such a mess. Folks, I can't afford to bow down to that God. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with ESPN. There's nothing wrong with playing sports. I'm not saying God has given us all of these things to enjoy. I'm also, I'm, I love to hunt and fish, okay? I grew up back east, and I, I, I love all of this stuff. Um, I, 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 I grew up, I've got, um, you know, God's just given us just these really, really over-the-top cool opportunities to do all this stuff, me and my dad, and we've got this, even, we have this taxidermist who does all kinds of work for us for totally free. I've got this, this trophy room, but you know what's going to happen to that trophy room? It's all going to burn. It's not wrong for me and my dad to have our week that we take off once a year and go do our thing. But folks, I can't afford to bow down to that God. Folks, I love golf. But I know men who bow down to that God. And ladies, sorry for all the man illustrations. You know, I, I, don't, I don't care if it's your scrapbooking club, ladies, right? <laughs> it's your heart. Worldliness. Listen, I mean, um, we... We don't have but so much bandwidth to love but so many things. you got to choose somewhere. And all of a sudden, you have so filled your life with stuff, with your pleasures, with your passions, and maybe not a single one of them are bad. But all of a sudden, when it's all said and done, you have no, you are laying up zero treasure for things that are eternal. My friend, let me tell you something. In the midst of that, what you have become is you have become worldly. 
you have become so of this world that you are not laying up anything that's going to last past this world. And hear what it's saying. The grace of God is teach, has, has saved me in you, but now the grace of God is teaching me in you that we don't live life spinning our wheels going nowhere like this world does. Folks, the grace of God is teaching us to live for something better than just, right here, than just what's right here. Let me tell you where all of this is coming from on just a super personal level. This is the text of Scripture, actually, that God really started to pound into my heart and into my life. Um, uh, several years ago, back in 2015, I had a, a guy, so we have all these singles who travel with us. I had a guy who calls me up, and he asked if he and, and his wife can travel with us. They were just, well, they actually um, had just gotten married. Like, I mean, they were newlyweds. And um, this was in, I think, end of June, beginning of July, we start talking, and then by the end of August, he and his wife, they come on as the first married couple we'd ever had, um, travel on the team. Uh, I, I think he was kind of crazy uh, to come with us after they'd only been married for two months. But anyway, they come, and I mean, they became some of our dearest, close friends. We spend so much time together. We do everything together. About a year in, uh, Matt comes to me. Matt and Carol Ann were their names, um, and Matt comes to me, and he says, hey, uh, we're expecting... And that was not in the plans. And uh, so then they were thinking they probably needed to stop traveling. But then um, they said, hey, we want to keep traveling. You think we could somehow maybe get a trailer and keep traveling with you guys? We, we travel in a fifth-wheel trailer, me and my family. We go all around the country. And um, so we helped them, and, and they were able to get a trailer, and they just kept traveling with us. They'd been with us for two and a half years. I'm not sure how much longer it was going to be. Um, we were still just praying, uh, you know, kind of each, each year along the way. You know, a little Asa had gotten there, so it's Carol Ann and Asa Clemens traveling with us. December of 2017, we'd all split up and gone home for a Christmas break, and they had gone to Carol Ann's parents' house down in Alabama. And on December the 17th, I got a call from Carol Ann just early in the morning saying, hey, Matt was just in a horrible car accident, and he's gone. 24 years old, leaving behind a 24-year-old widow and a one-year-old baby. Um, obviously, crushing to all of us, um, working so close together, so concerned about Anna Grace and helping, I mean, uh, Carol Ann and helping her. And we, uh, after, right after the funeral, though, two weeks after the funeral, she calls me up and she says, uh, can I come back on the road, me and Asa? She said, I just can't sit at home at my parents' house. She said, I just can't. I need to be out loving, serving, doing. I just, and I want to be with people who miss Matt. And I know you guys miss him. My parents barely knew Matt. And so I said, sure. I didn't know what else to do. If that would help her, I said, sure. So she comes back on the road with us. Folks, I've just never been through anything like it. It was one thing to grieve the loss of my dear friend, but then to have his to have his. 24-year-old widow and one-year-old son with us, like, I mean, like, day in and day out. We, like, spent every day together. We went, we, we eat every meal together. We eat together, and someone was missing. We came to practice music. Someone was missing. It came time for us to get up and sing. Someone was missing, and we, I mean, we just cried all the time. That's just what we did. We weren't going to dishonor him by acting like it didn't happen, so we talked about him all the time. We cried all the time, and just trying, I'm trying to be so strong, you know, I'm going to lead this team through this. I was actually a mess. I was falling apart. And I remember just coming to God over and over and over again, just saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? God doesn't waste anything, folks. Folks, I'm telling you, God doesn't waste anything. And he had things for me. Even in the midst of what he was doing in Carol Ann's life and what he was doing in, 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 in so many different places and so many different ways. God doesn't waste anything. And I was saying, God, what are you trying to do in me? This is too costly. This hurts too bad for me to miss what you're trying to teach me. So I said, God, what are you trying to teach me? You know, Matt was a passionate dude. He was just kind of a big guy. And I mean, just like wide open. Everybody loved Matt. You, you, when he came in the room, everybody knew he was in the room. And you just couldn't help but just absolutely love the guy. He was so passionate. He worked with teenagers. He preached to teenagers all across this country in, in, in Sunday schools and youth group activities and in Christian school chapels all across this country. He preached to teenagers. And, and, and you know what his passion was? Just looking back at his own life as a teenager, 
He just, you know, playing sports and playing video games, nothing wrong with either one of those. Don't get me wrong. They're fine. They're okay. But he said, I just wasted my life, Aaron. He said, I didn't know how to have moderation. I didn't know how to keep the main thing the main thing. I wasted my life. And so his passion is he talked to teens. I heard him say it as he preached. I don't know how many times. If I heard him once, I heard him a, a hundred times. He would say it when he preached. He would say it in counseling sessions. He would say it just in conversation, just all the time. Hey, buddy, hey, we got to live for what matters, man. Hey, that's fine. Go have fun. Just don't waste your life. All the time, it just permeated out of him. You know what God started to hammer down on my life? As I'm going through this, just saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? Folks, you know what? God was hammering down on me. Aaron Coffey, you got to live for what matters. Aaron Coffey, you can't afford to waste your life. I started taking all of my passions. I started taking all of my stuff. I started taking all of my, all of my hobbies. All the, I started running them through the grid of what am I living for? Is it going to make it past this life? Is it going to make it into eternity? Folks, I don't want to waste my life. The grace of God that has saved us is teaching me and you not to live like God doesn't exist and not to spin your wheels on the worldly passions that are going to amount to nothing in eternity. That's what the grace of God is teaching us. The grace of God is teaching us to live for what matters. To live for what matters. To live soberly, it says, and righteously and godly in this present world. You know, something else happened to me and our family just a few months after that. This was in the spring of 2018. We actually, God just worked through with some really, really cool, it was totally of God. God worked through some really, really cool circumstances for us to actually uh, buy our first home. We'd actually never lived in a home. We, uh, we actually, we got married in 2005 and we had gone for 13 summer, 13 years living in a fifth-wheel trailer as we went from church to church. We became connoisseurs of fine church parking lots. That's what we did. Uh, this week, because of your awesome parking problem, which means you're just growing, you got growing pains, folks. I love it. But we're parked down the road at a trailer park, but we're normally parked at the church, at, at, at a church on the church property. And that's just how we lived. We lived that way for a long, long time. We thought about buying a house, but we're never anywhere long enough to be worth buying a house. And, uh, and so we'd thought about different places. Then finally, God... It kind of worked our schedule to where, to where we, we take summers off and we settle down for four solid months and then we're back uh, for, uh, for Christmas and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so God just worked some really cool, some really, really cool opportunity, uh, circumstances for us to get our first home. And uh, we, we um, get this home, and it's so funny, we didn't have anything. If it didn't fit in a fifth-wheel trailer, we didn't have it. I mean, we literally didn't have anything. We travel light. It's just how we've always rolled, and it's been fine. I, it's easy for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a typical dude. I can sleep anywhere. You ladies know that my wife was the real champion in that whole situation. But I'm just, um, we get this house, we don't have anything. I mean, literally, we had nothing. Like, uh, our, uh, the, the lady left some appliances, and she left a dining room table, had six chairs. Man, we got six people in our family. The whole first week, we just sat around the table and looked at each other. That's all we had to do. And so, what we're, you know what? We had to legitimately, legitimately, we had to go start, we had to buy some stuff. And we had some money set aside at this day ever came that we'd been saving. And I mean, we couldn't afford new stuff, but we didn't want everybody's hand-me-downs, which were kind of being offered like crazy. So we're like, yeah. So Facebook Marketplace, here we come. Man, we hit Facebook Marketplace, and we are just, we, we just go on this spending free. Uh, this spending spree. Um, anyway, and we're just buying stuff, and it was awesome. We needed it. It was legitimate stuff. We needed beds. We needed dressers. We needed chairs and couches and all this stuff, and um, it was so much fun. But you know what? Something started happening to me that I never had happen to me before. Man, I mean, I got this, like, there's, like, this covetousness. There's this, like, um, this materialism? I don't know. I, I just, it's just like, I mean, if it's a good deal, then you buy it, need it or not, right? You know, on Facebook Marketplace. Man, and I'm just like, I mean, I'm, I'm coming around, I'm just like praying, saying, God, no, I need you to help me. I need you to help me. Because I don't want to waste my money. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste. And, um, you know, right around all that time, you know, right as we're moving into this, and probably for the first month that we're in there, Man, my wife is so awesome. She's artsy and creative, and she's like, for next to nothing, she's transforming our house, making it look like a home, and um, doing all kinds of cool stuff. And she, she's scripture 
you know, she always wants scripture all over the place, and we've got, she's making signs and doing all this stuff. She had this one thing she wanted over our bed in our master bedroom, and I, um, I, she had tried to do it and, and couldn't, do, it didn't look right, and so she found this website where she could design this sign, and, and so she comes to me kind of sheepishly saying, hey, can we spend this money to make this sign? I, it'll, it'll look so nice. I'm like, baby, absolutely. As much money as, you know, you've saved, absolutely, you can do whatever you want. So um, she orders it. Two weeks later or so, I don't know, I come in the house, she goes, Aaron, it is here. Go look in our bedroom. Classic dude, you know, I, don't, I, forgot, I forgot what I was going to say, you know, so I go walking down. And I come walking into the bedroom, and I look up above our bed in our master bedroom, and there's this sign that my wife wanted so bad to, to have hanging over our, our bed, and I just lost it. It was, there were so many things that came together. The whole thing with Matt and the whole trial and valley of his death that whole spring, our new house and this struggle I'm having in my heart with just wanting stuff, and then all of a sudden, this is what my wife wants over top of our bed in these big letters, not home yet. Um, folks, I got a question on two sides. Number one, is that really home for me? I mean, not really. Is this world really home? I mean, I don't know about you. Let me tell you a little something about me. I personally, I'm made for somewhere better than here. And I'm actually just passing through this place. God has called us to be pilgrims. You know what pilgrims are? Pilgrims are people who aren't home yet. And man, there were so many things that came together right at that moment. That is exactly what I felt like God had been teaching me ever since Matt had died. That Aaron, you've got to live this life like you're not home yet. Now, folks, listen, it's okay. It is awesome that we have this little place. For the coffee family, this is a great little house. Man, we're putting down some roots. It's good. It's healthy. We need it. But let me just tell you something. I don't want my roots to go but so deep. Because I'm actually, I was actually made for somewhere better than here. And folks, if you have Christ and the grace of God has saved you, then that same grace of God is going to continue to work in you, instructing you, teaching you, if need be, even disciplining you, that we live for something better than just right here. That's what the grace of God is teaching us. Are you saved? Have you been rescued by His grace? Then folks... The grace of God is teaching us. Listen to what it's actually teaching us. Are you ready? This is what the grace of God is teaching us. To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, but then to also live life this way. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Are you living this life looking for Jesus Christ to come back? You know what, I sometimes meet Christians, and I mean, I, I, I don't want to be one. I really think I could be. I'm so normal. I really think I could be, but I don't want to be. And I do think I meet Christians who this world has actually become so home to them. They're actually not excited about Jesus coming back. Folks, this world is not our home. And this text is saying that the grace of God is helping us to live this way, teaching us to live this way. You know, I was, at, I was, down, in, I was down in Florida uh, back uh, a couple years ago, and I was in uh, Vero Beach, Florida, and there was a lady at a church there. She brought lunch to us one day, and we all came in to eat lunch, and she was there, and I get to talking with her sweet lady. I started talking with her. It was very obvious from her accent. She wasn't from Florida. She was from New England. New England, uh, um, you know, so many from New England will, will retire somewhere a little warmer than New England. And so I'm talking to her, and I said, I can tell you're not from here. You got a story? She said, oh, yeah. So she starts telling me her, 
her story. She said, well, I grew up in New England. My husband was from New England. We met, got married. She said, I'm telling you, his whole life, all he did was, was talk about retiring and moving to Florida, retiring and moving to Florida, retiring and moving to Florida. And, uh, she, and she, she said, we, we started a business. God blessed it. She said, we, we make good money. She said, but he wouldn't spend a penny. She, he wanted us to pinch every penny we can. He said, I don't just want to retire. I want to retire early. We're going to go on a permanent vacation in Florida. We're just, hey, let's just work hard. Let's save money. She said, he loved to fish. He loved to fish. He wouldn't fish. She said, his whole, I mean, our whole married life, he wouldn't fish. He just work, work, work. I'll fish someday. She, he's, she said, he used to talk about this boat. Baby, we're going to get a boat. We're going to fish. We're going to retire we're going to sell the business. She said it's all he talked about. He talked about this boat. He knew just what boat to get and all this stuff. She said we did it. Everything went according to plan. She said we sold the business. We made good money. We'd saved money. She said we were early, late 50s. We retired down to Florida. She said we bought the prettiest boat you've ever seen in your life. And then he got cancer. He died the next year. She said, you know what? He never went on that boat one time. Folks, there's nothing wrong with having a boat if you can afford it. There's nothing wrong with making retirement plans. You better. But folks, the grace of God that has saved us is teaching me and you to know how to live for what matters. Are we wasting our life? You know, I, I want to I do something. I, I want to just take just a minute. I'm going to have my wife step up to the piano. And just real quick, I just think just with it quiet in here, personally, I love when I've heard preaching, I love to have just a minute to talk to God and just pray just right where we're at. And just kind of turn this room into a room of prayer. And we're not going to take long, like just, just, just for a quick minute. And, and just examine our hearts. Say, God, am I wasting my life? Am I living for what matters? Listen, let me tell you something. To, I really wrestled through this, and I don't know the answer to it. Not completely. If you can help me out, I'd love it. But I've thought through, what in this life can I actually hold on to that's going to make it past? And I'm talking like I can touch it. Like I can touch this microphone. I can touch this pulpit. What in this life that I can actually touch with my hands is going to make it past this life? And you know what? I can only come up with two things. First of all, this. The Bible says this, that the Word of God is going to last forever. Now, I know it's not exactly talking about this particular copy, but I can touch it and I can hold it. And the Bible says the Word of God is going to last forever. You know what else? This is the only thing I can come up with that I can actually touch with my hands that's going to last past, that's going to make it past this life. People. People last forever. So folks, just for starters, if you want to really examine your life and see, am I wasting my life? Am I living for what's going to matter for eternity? I mean, how about that question right there? Are you investing in those two things? Are you investing, spending your life on the Word of God and on people? Because those two things make it past this life. Folks, may God help us. Can we just take a quick minute to pray?